0: Good morning. It's always good to be with you. For the past several weeks, ever since Easter, we have been, as a church family, focusing our hearts and minds on all the ways that the resurrection has the power every single day to make all things new. We've talked about how the the power of the resurrection gives us new eyes uh, to see people through the lens of grace we've talked about how the power of the resurrection gives us a new way of hearing so that we listen to one another with compassion we have talked about how the resurrection gives us a new sense of touch empowering us to, to reach out to, to people that we don't always fully understand and this morning we're focusing on the the truth that the resurrection gives us a new sense of taste helping us to savor all the goodness that God is always pouring into our lives now most of the time it seems that most of us are so busy that we're not really able to, to slow down and savor much of anything I mean it, it's hard to savor being five minutes late it's hard to savor food that comes from a drive-thru and it is hard, it's hard to savor evenings at home with the family when everybody is stressed out and tired and getting on one another's nerves. And for many of us, that's kind of our daily pace, that we're, we're five minutes late and we're eating on the go. And, and when we finally do get together as a family, at the end of the day, our nerves are shot. And, and we're just trying to make sure that we can tolerate one another between dinner and bedtime. Why would we ever want to slow that down? and savor it, right? We don't do that. Savoring requires space. It it requires space not only in our schedules, but in our lives, in our hearts. Savoring requires slowing down. In in moments that are are good, in moments that bring us happiness and joy, there are, are all of these moments that that we have to make a decision to to slow things down so that we can drink in all that that moment has to offer. Savoring doesn't happen on accident. As many of us know, often in order for us to have an experience that we can savor, that means a lot of running around and and pre-planning and to-do lists so that we can carve out a handful of hours where we can try to take in everything that we're experiencing I mean in a culture like ours we have to we have to actually carve out time and space and in order for that to happen we we have to think that through we have to prepare ourselves for that kind of experience and we do we throw birthday parties and graduations and holiday meals and weddings And as a preacher, I've had the the good fortune of being a part of a lot of different weddings. And while weddings are often very different in various kinds of details, there are some things that happen at every single wedding I've ever been a part of. The, The first thing I always notice on the day of the wedding, when I I walk into whatever space it is that we're going to celebrate that wedding in, I find that it's not just a physical space, it's an emotional and a spiritual space as well, a sacred space that's been created by two people who love each other and by all the people in their lives who love them. And and the air is always filled with a kind of emotional electricity of, of anticipation, a nervous excitement, because everybody who's gathering together in that moment feels certain that we're all about to watch a miracle take place. We're going to get to witness something amazing, something that's life-changing. And, and so we, we dress up, right? We, we try our hardest to add to the beauty of what's about to, to take place, about All these these people trying to pay attention in a world where it's so hard for us to pay attention to anything for any length of time. And then the music plays and there's, you know, always different kinds of music. But then there's always a particular song that plays. And everybody turns around to look at the bride as she slowly walks down the aisle to her groom. And... It's not just uh, something that's taking place between two people. We're all caught up in it, and we know that she's not just walking 100 feet. she's walking from one way of night life into the next. And we want, we want to hear what they have to say. We want to see the look on their faces. And when they finally reach one another, that I mean, you can hear a pin drop. And as a preacher, it's one, of those, it's one of those gifts that you get to stand that close to God changing people's lives. And they hold each other's hands, they, they look at one another tenderly, and then they exchange promises of unconditional love in an uncertain world. And we all know that they, they can't possibly know all that they're promising to do and be in the life that they're going to share together they don't know what that life is holding for them, but they, they promise nonetheless to hold on to one another no matter what. And so in just a few minutes, two people become one, and nothing will ever be the same again. And, and don't you find in weddings that it's, it's a little bit shocking that something so significant could take place in such a short span of time? Of course you do. It's why we have wedding receptions. It is. We're, we're trying to create more time to experience the joy and the goodness that unconditional love makes possible. I mean, you, you may not always be super excited to put on all the clothes that you have to put on to go to a wedding, but you usually look forward to the reception. Because that's where we're celebrating what just happened. That's where we're celebrating what we believe is still happening. We, we call them wedding receptions. We know why, right? Because the, the, the newlyweds are, are being welcomed by their community, received by their community as a married couple for the first time and they receive that community of friends and family as a married couple for the first time. That's why we call them wedding receptions. We're receiving one another. But I think on a deeper level, we know that we're not just receiving each other, we are, we're opening ourselves up to receive joy and happiness and hope. I mean, Life, human life is is at its best in the afterglow of a wedding. Somehow, for just maybe a handful of hours, we're able to to push back all the other things that are stressing us out and, and causing us to worry, and we just we celebrate. In the beginning of the Gospel of John, Jesus attends a wedding. And not only does he attend the wedding, but he sticks around for the reception. And something begins to unfold there that I'd like us to read together. So if you've got your Bible with you, please open up to John chapter 2, we We're starting in verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Mother, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. She doesn't say anything to him. I love that. She just turns to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. She's won this argument before. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples put their faith in him. To put it lightly, my grandparents struggled with alcoholism. In fact, in in their battles with the bottle, uh, they nearly destroyed both sides of my family and have created lasting Wounds in countless relationships, and as a direct result, my parents decided long ago not to ever drink alcohol It's a very personal decision That plenty of people in the world understand because their families have been ravaged by alcoholism But it's also a decision that at times makes other people feel judged And while the Bible does not ever instruct us to completely avoid alcohol, it does often warn us against the often overwhelming temptation for us to drink too much. It's very clear in Scripture. If you cannot faithfully and consistently partake in alcohol responsibly and in moderation, you shouldn't drink at all. It's very similar, in fact, to the way the Bible talks about money and the love of money. There's a warning that there could be a love that develops in your heart for something other than God that will consume your life. And because I grew up in a home that completely avoided alcohol, I never really had much use for the story we just read. I I was uncomfortable with the image of Jesus Creating extra wine for people at a wedding reception, where by admission in the story, there's already people present who've had too much to drink. And I'm far from being alone in being made to feel uncomfortable with this story of Jesus. You can find biblical commentaries where, where the scholar goes to great lengths to say that Jesus was creating non alcoholic wine. There's no way in the world that that's what's happening here. The master of the banquet's comments don't make any sense. Jesus is not turning water into welches. That's not, that's not what's happening here. Don't quote me on that. <clears throat> now you gotta be wondering at this point why I'm talking about this. The reason I'm talking about this is that's not what this story is about. And it becomes a huge distraction if we just turn the story of the wedding at Cana into a debate about whether or not followers of Christ are allowed to have alcohol. That, that's not why John's telling the story. And if, if we... Allow that distraction to overwhelm What John's actually trying to show us I think we're going to miss something That's really important for us to understand John is telling us I'm convinced That John is telling us this story About Jesus in order to open our hearts Up to the importance of savoring The moments of joy and happiness That we sometimes experience in lives That often contain more than their fair share Of sorrow and disappointment the very first miracle that Jesus performs. I need you to hear this. The very first miracle that Jesus performs is a miracle that helps people who are already caught up in celebrating. A moment of goodness. His miracle is to let them keep experiencing that goodness and that joy. Goodness that we, as people of faith, choose to believe comes to us straight from the heart of God. Jesus' brother James, who just might have attended the same wedding with Jesus that day, will later write every good and perfect gift comes from above, from our Heavenly Father. Too often in religious contexts, I'm pretty sure that we limit the concept of good to the moral framework of right and wrong. When we say, that we want to be good people who serve a good God by doing good things, I think often what we mean is we want to be the right kind of people serving the right God by doing things that are right. And that's true. It's, it's the truth, but it's never the whole truth. Because the concept of good doesn't only work in a framework of right and wrong. We, we don't only use the word good in that way in our lives, and it's not only used that way in Scripture. Good is often used in other kinds of, of ways of thinking, like beneficial instead of harmful, caring instead of uncaring, healthy instead of sick, flourishing instead of suffering, hope instead of despair, joy instead of Sadness. When we say that something tastes good, we don't mean that it's morally right. We mean that it's delicious. We mean that it's worth savoring. We mean that it it lifts our spirits and it brings a warm contentment that feels like blessing because it is a blessing. Every good and perfect gift is from above. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Of course, it's, it's right, but it's more than that. It's healthy, and it's hope, and it's joy, and it's peace. It's good. Did you happen to notice uh, when the wedding takes place? pretty sure John wants us to notice when the wedding takes place. It's, it's actually a really strange way to start a story on the third day. Now, what is that immediately supposed to do for us who not only know the, the story of Jesus at the very beginning, but we know how the story of Jesus goes on to develop and unfold? What happens on the third day? Resurrection happens on the third day. And it's obvious that what what John is trying to say about this moment where Jesus, the first miracle, is to help people who are already experiencing joy get to experience that joy longer. People who are already celebrating the goodness get to celebrate that goodness longer. That's God's first miracle through Jesus. It's resurrection. This wedding taking place, there's something about it that, that helps resurrection take place in the lives of the people who are there, in the lives of of anyone who's ever been in a moment where it's just, it's good. That God wants us to be able to experience that. Resurrection tastes like the sacred joy, the the holy happiness that we encounter when we stop and savor the grace-filled goodness only God can give us. At times I'm afraid that we have forgotten how much fun the life of faith is supposed to be. And I'm not the best example of how much fun faith can be. But self-denial is not the same thing as joy denial. Avoiding sin is not the same thing as avoiding pleasure. And being God's servant in this life is not the same thing as being deadly serious. I mean, When you think about it, we as Christians have more reason to celebrate than anyone else in this this world. We have more reason than anyone else in this world to smile, to laugh, to throw parties, to be the life at the parties we throw, because we're the people who believe in the resurrection. We're the people who depend on a God who is stronger than death itself. You, you know one of the most amazing things to me about Christians that has to look strange to somebody without faith in the resurrection? I have been to many Christian funerals where somebody was blessed to live a long life. And if you go, we have a reception after that. And it becomes a party. I've had several elderly Christians tell me before that when you do my funeral, make sure afterwards we have an ice cream social. That's crazy. Unless you didn't like the person, that's crazy (laughs) that you'd have a party after the funeral. But we shouldn't just be throwing parties after funerals. We have more reason than anyone else in this earth to be happy, to experience joy, and to savor the goodness of life. Because we believe that those moments of goodness that occur in this life will never die. And so if, if you feel good when you're sitting across the table from somebody else and you know that indescribable warm contentment that just goes through you, those kinds of moments in this life are foretastes of glory divine. That's what heaven feels like. And what we need to be doing in those moments is not rush through them to get to something else that we need to accomplish or produce or take care of. We need to be people who slow down and savor the goodness. And I don't hear us talk about that a lot in church. I think we're overly serious at times, and we get nervous that if something feels good, it means it's bad. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to say the whole do whatever you you think feels good and that's okay. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you're created in the image of God and the things that bring joy and pleasure to God will, will bring joy and pleasure to you. Beauty and goodness and wholeness. More than anyone else on the face of the earth, you and I should be experiencing those kinds of lives. Miraculous moments, John says, can come in all shapes and sizes. And John wants us to see that in those moments where we suddenly wake up and realize that God is working right there, a miracle in our lives of of making us feel good and whole and happy, the best thing we can do is to savor, to, to celebrate that goodness, to revel in it. And I choose that word on purpose, to revel in the goodness and the grace of God. Saved people savor the goodness of life. They don't obsess about what makes them afraid. They don't spend most of their time trying to prove to themselves and the world that they're Valuable and talented and important because they trust that God loves them enough to give the life of his son for them and that that sets their value and worth. They don't gossip about other people to tear them down so they can feel better about themselves. Saved people find a way to find moments in life where God is being kind and gentle and good to us. And they take it all in. And they want more people to experience it. We're about to take communion together. And if you're going to be one of the people who serves us, if you could begin to to make your way to the tables and we'll be feasting together in a moment. You know, this is one of those times in worship where I'm never quite sure how I'm supposed to feel. But I think it's something close. we, We were just talking about, right that 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 interesting reality for Christians at funerals where there's a part of us where our hearts are breaking that but there's also a part of us where our hearts are filled with hope at the same time that 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 kind of push and pull internally is what should be happening during this this meal that we take together i think too often we lean towards overly serious celebrations of the lord's supper and it There's reason for that. When you think about all that Jesus has to go through in order to save us, in order to make this meal possible, it ought to make you stop and think about your response to that love. It, It ought to make you stop and ask yourself, how do I need to change? Not to earn that love, but to live a life that's worthy of that love, that I've already been given That's all true, and there's different Sundays where we we turn up the volume on different parts of the story. But this Sunday, what I really want us to focus on is this is not just a meal where we think about painful things in the past. It's also a meal where we anticipate the hope and the joy of the future. That what we do here, we will do for all of eternity. We will feast together at the Lord's table, and it will be good. And it is good. And you bring with you this morning not just your struggles and your brokenness, but you bring with you memories just this week of joy and goodness and happiness. And wouldn't it make sense to use this time to thank God for the goodness? So as we take this bread and as we drink this cup, I want to encourage you to to savor, to slow down, and to be thankful. After I say the prayer and as we start to, to take the bread, and then after I say the prayer for the cup and we, we take that together, there's going to be some prompts that come up on this screen that if, if you'll, you'll participate together will lead us together through a time of prayer. And so I'd, I would encourage you to participate in that uh, as we partake in this meal together. Let's, let's pray. God, we thank you that Jesus's first miracle was to help people feel good just a little bit longer. In a world where we are beaten down at times and we are overcome with fear and disappointment, we praise you for the moments of joy. And we believe that those moments come to us from you. And so as we, as we take this bread and we think about what it costs you to give us the life, the body of your son, it breaks our hearts, but it also brings us hope. God, what we want to say to you this morning as we take this, this bread and drink this cup is thank you. Thank you. It's in the name of your son we pray. Amen. So, one of my moments of joy in life happened eight years ago today. Riley Kate was born. And then another moment of joy came about a month ago when I said to Riley, what, what do you want for your birthday? And she said, can I be on the praise team? That won't be what she always says when I ask that question, but I'm, I'm savoring that. We have moments, we have people that reveal to us the tenderness and the gentleness and the goodness of God. And too often we rush past those moments and those people. Too often we rush past God. Let's pray. God, as we continue to rest in your presence, as we take this cup, And as we think about what it means to live as people who've had somebody die for them, we ask that you would help us experience a soul-deep joy that comes from being loved that way. God, we thank you. We thank you, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So as we continue uh, around the table of the Lord, where we not only receive, uh, but we bring our gifts, there's a sense in Scripture that when we give the way God has created us to give, it brings us joy. That, it, that it's, it's who we want to be, even if we've forgotten it a long time ago. That, that we want to be people who not only experience blessing, but share blessing with others. And so as we take up this financial offering, it's not just a moment in worship where we conduct business or, or housekeeping or what, whatever it is that sometimes I feel like the, the shift that takes place in our hearts where somehow what we're doing right now is not as spiritual as everything else we do on Sunday morning. This is This is and should be Incredibly spiritual. We want to be like God. We, we want to give like God. And when we do, when we trust that the God who has taken care of us will continue to take care of us, it, it gives us freedom to give in a way that changes our life and the lives of other people. And in a very direct, tangible way, helps them experience joy. So as we prepare to, to pass the offering plate, please be thinking of how you can be a part of what we're about to do. If you're a guest or visitor and you have you filled out one of your cards, please place those in uh, the plate as well. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We don't take credit for any good thing in our lives. As people of faith, we, we confess that every good and perfect thing in our lives is from you. God, help us to see that joy, to savor it, to to be a part of it, and to help share that joy with others, God. We, we We want to be good the way that you're good. Help us as we live towards that invitation. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing in just a moment and as we do our shepherds and their wives are going to be available for you to pray with to talk with uh, to experience community with one of the the most consistent places that we experience the goodness and the joy of God is in our interactions with one another and in a church this size it's sometimes easy to kind of slip through the cracks and to not feel like you know anyone as well as you want to or that you're fully known maybe for you this morning, the first step towards that kind of joy-filled relationship would be to go to one of our shepherding couples, to talk with them and pray with them. So whether it's something that you need help with or whether today especially you might simply want to say a prayer of thanks for all the good things that God has blessed you with, please go to these couples as together we stand and sing.